0: now studios. Okay, so we had no clue no clue what was on the horizon but just a few weeks before the world heard about this new contagion Erlon Woods from the Ear Hustle podcast crew he came over to my place for dinner I got to throw down some ribs and something vegan because this is California we're just kicking it Casual, bruised, folks, a regular evening. Something I took for granted until the pandemic took it away. I haven't had people inside my house since that day. And I love company. Friends, neighbors, visitors, stopping by, planned or unplanned. And Erlon, as always, he has a slightly different perspective on visitation. It's colored by his time spent in San Quentin State Penitentiary, And I'm thrilled because one year after the pandemic shut down access, Ear Hustle is once again bringing stories from inside lockup. And this is real life. As such, it contains language that may not be suitable for all snappers. Listener discretion is advised. We're sharing an episode from their current season about prison visiting rooms and what happens when prison visiting rooms go away. Snap probably presents Ear Hustle's Hot Trash From PRX's Radiotopia, we begin with Ear Hustle's Nigel Poor asking a few questions.
1: Hey, how old is
2: how old's your daughter? She's four months. Four months old, and what's her name? Alina.
1: This is Vesta. Her husband, Reuben is incarcerated at California State Prison, Corcoran, and she hasn't seen him in a year since the pandemic started. She
2: and I are going to have a visit with her daddy this weekend. It's going to be the first time her dad gets to meet her. I was telling her, you're going to meet your daddy this weekend. It's going to be so fun. You get to talk to him. You get to see him. And I'm so excited. And we just had like this little celebratory moment to ourselves.
3: But because this is the time of COVID, this wasn't going to be a real in-person visit. Mm-mm. It's a visit with quotes around it, meaning a video visit.
1: Yep. And it's no substitute for the real thing. But right now, it's all families have.
2: pictured, I pictured us <laughs> in my room, our room. And I would have her out of the frame. <laughs> and wait for him to kind of get settled. And I would probably, like, give him some air hugs and kiss the camera and tell him how much I love him so much and how much I miss him. And instantly, he'd be like, where's my baby? (laughs) And so, I'd be like, wait, okay, okay. Like, what about me? Me first. (laughs) But (laughs) I understand. So I'd I'd pick her up and I'd bring her over and introduce her and tell her, Alina, this is your daddy. His dad," And just hold her up to the camera and let him see her and her, him. And cry, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: When you're incarcerated, Naj, visits are everything. Mm-hmm. They keep you going. You know, it's family and friends acknowledging that you do exist. At least that's what it was for me.
1: Well, Erlan, you know that I've actually never been inside the visiting room as a visitor. Right. Because like I always come in as a volunteer, but I have been in there. And what I've noticed is it is a whole different place than the rest of the prison?
3: Oh, yeah. The, the visiting room is a very special place. You know, there are a few distractions, and you know, it's just you and your visitor getting your vibe on, your visiting vibe. And sometimes it's hard. I mean, the visiting room is where you remember all the shit you're missing out on. I mean, when you're in a cell or on the yard inside of prison, everyone around you is in the same situation you're in. Mm-hmm. So, you can kind of forget that the outside world exists. Yeah. But in the visiting room, it's like a reminder of everything you're missing. It's in your face.
1: The visiting room. That's what we're talking about today. I'm Nigel Poor,
3: And I'm Erlon Woods. This is Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Drop that shit, Antoine.
4: This is Rasan New York Thomas on the yard of San Quentin State Prison. It's going down. It's going down. We're back, Mortimer. We're back.
1: <laughs> All right. It is so good to hear our inside co-host New York talking to guys back out in the yard. I really makes me happy.
3: <sighs> COVID restrictions are easing up inside, so I know New York and the guys are happy to be out there with that recorder, just talking away.
1: Yard talk is back.
4: Uh, tell me your name, how long you've been down, and how do you get ready for a visit? My name is Michael. Uh, I've been down 36 years. Shit, shave and shine, man. You know, it starts days in advance, though. I like to go out there sharp, so I iron all my clothes. Hold on, hold on. What is shit, shit, shine sh- sh- say that again? Shit, shave and shine, man. W- what do you shine,
5: bro? Shine my shoes, man. Shine <laughs> this bald head up a little bit, too, you know what I mean?
0: get this anxiety to make sure they're going to come because sometimes you still don't know if they're going to show up or not. You know what I mean? And when they call your name, boy, your chest get pumped up. You walk out the cell like you Superman. You know what I mean? You feel good about yourself because you feel loved, genuinely.
6: I've been
4: down since a teenager, going 21 years, right? So this is what I do. I wake up, I look in the mirror, turn the radio on before I even brush my teeth. You know, let the, you know, the vibes and everything hit you. I wake up and do the shimmy like carrier or somebody, right? And then I grab the toothpaste. I'm dancing and everything, you know? And I'm brushing back and forth, right? You know, I'm looking at my, my shirt. I got a button-up shirt creased up and everything, right? You feel me? So every day, though, it's like I'm going on a visit. So I might get called on a Wednesday. You never know, right? So every day, kid you not when we leave our loved ones on the street sometimes you never see them again and your family get uh discouraged sometimes but they love you so they stand in line for three four hours just to see you now we only get 30 minutes once a month on the video so now you have to be selective about who you are able to see on that monitor you so know you got to trace between your, your girl or your wife or your moms who do you pick moms come first damn i owe you an apology <laughs> What's your most memorable visit, best or worst? I had been down for like four years at the time, and when I left, my baby girl was one years old. So she was five at the time. I went out to visit, and I'm behind this glass, and there's a phone out there, and she wouldn't pick up the phone. So I told her sister, grab the phone. And she grabbed, I said, put it to her ear. I said, baby, what's wrong? And she was like, I hate you. I hate you. I was like, man. I said, what'd I do? She said, you left me out of here by myself. That was my worst visit
5: ever. The first time I saw my mom at juvenile hall after I committed this crime.
4: Why was that your worst visit? Because all she did was cry and hug me. And she didn't believe the truth, and I didn't want to tell her the truth that I committed this crime.
7: (sighs) I have a daughter that's, uh... She was 13 years old, and she had a baby. And now she's 15, but her mom just passed away. Mm. And, uh... And I really need to see my daughter because my daughter is out there by herself now. You know what I mean? And I talked to her on the phone and she said, uh, Dad, I wish I could talk to you more. I need to talk to you, you know.
6: That's what's up.
1: Did you worry about him? Oh, yeah.
8: It was so massive. You know, that place is huge. And then the guards were so intimidating and... Oh, the nights I cried. God, store all your tears in a bottle. Well, I have gallons
1: up there. Yeah. It's my one and only, you know? Yeah. Hey, your Hustle producer, John Yaya Johnson. Want to tell them who this is?
9: (laughs) That would be none other than my mom. She's talking about the first few times she came and visited me while I was in prison.
1: Do you think that she ever stopped worrying about you when you were in there? Nah,
9: I don't think it was a day that she didn't worry. But after a while, mm. you do kind of settle into a routine, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
9: I mean, I was locked up for 25 years, and she probably came and visited me several hundred times. I lost count she came to visit me so much.
8: Now, this one... Hold up.
9: over okay, here. Hold on, I'll see you. Okay, let me see it close. Oh, you're going you gonna to like who's on that picture.
1: Yaya's mom says that Every time she came to visit him They take a picture Hell yeah Photos is just as important as the visit And of course She still has them Boxes of those photographs (laughs) I love that I like how you're standing too You know how to stand right in a picture All of the pictures look like that I'm
8: all that. You know you come (laughs) in to visit Put on your best Put your best foot forward that day Mm -hmm. You know, a little makeup Comb your hair because this is a, a special day. You documented it on pictures. As you can see here, we look good on all our pictures. Yeah.
3: So you're saying, you're saying you're all in the yeah, bag of chips. It, that's it, that, it, that, that old
8: that's school. It, that's okay. how you supposed to think.
1: Uh-huh. If I don't think a, yes, that is will. the classic clothes. That's how you look good in pictures. Yep.
9: So my two favorite photos, um, definitely, um, I'm looking at one. And this is from um, 96, 97. And I'm at New Folsom State Prison with my mom and my grandmother. My grandmother really gave me a stern talking to on the day we took this picture. She couldn't understand or reconcile in her mind how on the outside I appeared so successful. But on the inside, I was void, as she would say, of uh, any concern about them and to have my grandmother just say what she said really broke me. But it broke me in order to build me. And so this is one of my favorite pictures, three generations, me in the middle, my mother on my left, my grandmother on my right. And I always kept this picture near and dear to me. I remember my mother coming to visit me in 2005. And we sat down and she said, I had something to tell you. And so immediately my antennas go up, I'm alarmed, I'm thinking there's something wrong, somebody passed away. So I tense up, brace for it. And she say, "Uh, you know you're gonna be a granddaddy, right? And I'm like, what? And she looked at me like, what you surprised for? Your son was the same age that you were when you had him. Like father, like son. Like three or four visits later, my mother comes up here unannounced. And when I'm sitting out in the visiting room, I see her come in and she's carrying a car seat. And she set the little girl on the table and said, here's your granddaughter, Paw. <laughs> and here's this cute little girl smiling with Drew. And I was conflicted with the idea of being a grandpa in prison, but at the same time falling in immense love with this little girl.
1: Yeah, yeah, obviously you're glad to be out of prison and, and you're glad he's out. But is there anything that you miss about your visiting room experiences together?
9: Uh, I guess for me, what I, what I would say I miss about the visiting room experiences is those deeply intense personal conversations. Even though the visiting room is this huge room with a lot of people and there's a lot of noise, I kind of like would zero in on my visit and cancel out all of the other noise and focus. I really miss my mom, and there was a lot of things that I wanted to share with her to try to give her an understanding about why I was in prison and how I contributed to her agony and being a delinquent. Over the years, we really used the visiting room as a therapeutic place to process our relationship. Growing up, she would tell me these things, and it would go in one ear and out the other ear. But When I finally had an opportunity to sit down in prison and really just reflect, it was like a role reversal. We would, you know, study together in a visiting room, read scripture, have really deep, intense, interpersonal communications about self-growth, you know, where she feels she erred. You know, we apologized. You know, we just used that visiting time to really just seize a moment to grow closer. I mean, now I'm on the go. Um, She's always on the go. Um, so even though I'm here a lot, we don't really get an opportunity to talk like we did. We were able to talk. We were able to talk a lot.
8: This was another one. This was it. This was the last picture we took. This this is the last, you know, this was the end. This look at you trying to hunch you down to be my size. I'm going to you know, stand yourself up. It's almost over. I felt it inside.
9: What's really significant about this picture is what I can see is the the light in both of our eyes. We are really in this real intimate embrace. And I'm holding her and she's holding me like we can stay in this particular position forever. When I first came home, she had all of her visiting prison photos up around the house. And in the last 10 months, they've slowly been coming down. I would like to ask you now, why in the last 10 months have you been taking the visiting pictures down?
8: Because that's behind us. That's the shut door. Yeah. I don't want to revisit that. We got what we needed to get out of that. And so now it's... To evolve onto something bigger and better. I did, I just started taking them down one by one. Yeah.
0: When we return, the Ear Hustle crew wanders through the visiting room and finds something special inside. On Snap Judgment, the Ear Hustle Spotlight Hot Trash continues. Stay. Step judgment is brought to you by Progressive, where customers who save by switching their home and car save nearly $800 on average. Quote at progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $793 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2021 and May 2022. Potential savings will vary. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Ear Hustle Spotlight, Hot Trash, already in progress.
1: Oh, I just had something really sweet. You just rested your head on your friend. Why'd you do that?
5: Because he's like my dad. I love him to death. (laughs)
7: Yeah,
5: definitely.
1: It's probably a good time to ask who you're sitting next to, Bucci.
5: So I'm sitting next to my dear friend, best friend, mentor, father figure, Frank Jernigan.
1: Bucci, that guy we just heard, Erlon, he was a real character inside San Quentin. Yeah, Bucci Bucci was a... He was a cool Italian. (laughs) Nicola Bucci. I
3: mean, you know, he was was really active in a lot of programs. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a runner with the prison running club.
1: Oh, yeah. He was always out there sweating, running around the yard. Being arts and correction. And longtime Ear Hustle listeners may even remember when we talked to him about his Bucci bars.
3: The Bucci bars. Mm -hmm. The soap bars that he'd mix with... Uh, old, hard orange peels yes, and shit to make these fancy-ass soap bars that will exfoliate your skin. Exactly.
1: And you're shining. So, that's Bucci. And Frank Jernigan, Erlan, you and I were just meeting him for the first time. Right. And how did you two meet?
5: So, originally, when I met Frank was in 2003 when I was a corporate chef for Google at the main headquarters.
1: And Frank, what were you doing there? I was a
7: software engineer at Google. I remember being introduced to Bucci, and he just has this really warm, friendly smile. And I remember asking him practically every time, hey, what's good now? And he would say, oh, try these spare ribs. They're extraordinary today. Or, oh, you want to try the haricot ver? I said, what's that? (laughs) You know, green
1: beans. (laughs) Those were the kinds of conversations we had. That was it. In 2005, Frank retired from Google. About a year later, he invited some old work friends over for a party.
7: And one of my friends came up and said, hey, do you remember that chef named Bucci? And I said, yeah, I remember him. And she said, well, he just had a tragic automobile accident, and it looks like he's about to be arrested.
3: Two people died as a result of the accident, and Bucci ended up being charged with murder.
7: I was concerned, and I thought, well, I'm retired. I don't have anything better to do with my time. I think I will see how this turns out.
1: Frank decided to sit in on Bucci's trial, and after Bucci was sentenced to 23 years in prison, Frank continued to write him letters.
3: You know, yeah, it's a big deal to hear from people. Especially in those early days. Oh, it's got to be tough. You feeling like you've been forgotten by everybody and life on the outside just moves on without you.
5: I was feeling abandoned, sad, um, angry at. I, I just angry at myself. I was disappointed in myself because I made poor choices that brought me to that situation. And I expected that I was going to get the surge of support, but it didn't arrive. Like, you know, you see movies. Oh, we're going to be there. We're going to be there. And and that didn't happen. But who did you expect would would stand by? Who did I expect would stand by would be my my partner that I was with at the time. Um, Wasn't there. And so I was feeling rejected from her. And um, I imagined that my close friends would be there.
1: Do you think it's fair to say that you felt isolated?
5: I did feel uh, isolated, and that fueled the the rejection, the abandonment, the disappointment, the anger, confusion.
1: What what does that kind of isolation and disappointment do to a person?
5: It shatters. It shattered my self-esteem. Shatter shattered my self-worth.
3: In 2014, Bucci was transferred to San Quentin, not far from where Frank lives.
1: And so Frank drove out to see him. How did he seem to you?
7: He was just ecstatic and uh, happier than I had possibly imagined that he would be. I didn't know what I was going to find. He was so overjoyed to see somebody from the outside.
5: When Frank came to see me at St. Quentin, um, it was like I was reconnecting with all of that part of my past. Uh, like having someone that I could hold and hug was important. I felt recharged, relief. I just sat and hugged and cried on him and just let it out. Like my body was just storing all of that. And he was like, he was, Frank was the mechanism, the vehicle for that. There's someone that loves me. There's, And it was just a demonstration and a manifestation of friendship and love when he came to see me.
3: Frank told Bucci, I'll come see you next weekend. And
7: he kept coming pretty much every weekend for six years. As he opened up to me, I opened up to him and we decided hey, this is a perfectly safe place to share all of our thoughts, all of our dreams, all of our experiences, and hold nothing back. What may not be apparent on the podcast is that I'm 75 years old and he's 48. He is the age of my two daughters. So it's an unlikely friendship. You know, I'm also wealthy from Google and he's not. I've never been in prison, and he spent 16 years there. I mean, there's so many differences between us. But there was some kind of bond that I think was almost spiritual from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I, don't, I can't explain it. It's, it's a <laughs> mystical thing yeah. that happened.
1: I'm guessing that most people would not associate the word mystical with prison.
3: Yeah, but the visiting room is special. I mean, you heard Yaya and his mom. It's a a special place where people really connect with each other.
1: But for first-timers like Frank, one thing that's really striking about prison is just how much red tape and bureaucracy there is. And if you're not used to that, it is daunting, Erlon, and it's probably (laughs) hard to get to the mystical part.
3: True.
7: First of all, to get the right to visit it takes two months you you send in an application you don't know if anybody's going to reply i didn't know to make an appointment two Mm -hmm. weeks in advance uh, at 7 p.m on sunday night so i get there and i'm at the end of a very long line i wait for an hour or more to finally get to go through the first level of security Mm -hmm. you know I might be wearing the wrong color pants, or I might. At <laughs> one, a couple of times, I had to go change my pants because I had the wrong color pants on. I think people
3: like Frank, seeing the prison system for the first time, they're like, "Oh, I'll just talk to him, just reason with him, and they'll make an exception or whatever the case may be." But you learn quick. There's no exceptions in prison.
1: Oh, totally. When a CEO asks you to do something, you just do it. They got all the power.
10: What's the hardest part of your job? The hardest part? Well, the hardest part, I would say, when I have to terminate somebody, kick somebody out because they're misbehaving, you know. This
1: is Sergeant Cuevas. He's a correctional sergeant at San Quentin, and e we've had him on the show before. And unlike a lot of COs, he actually doesn't
3: mind talking to us.
1: So what's the bad behavior that you sometimes have to break up? Uh, well, I would say,
10: uh, excessive touching, hugging, kissing, and I tell her, hey, you can be doing it in my visiting room, you know, and, uh, most of them understand, you know, sometimes, hey, yeah, I messed up, you know, I'm sorry, well, of course, I I have to enforce the rules and, you know, kick them out.
1: Ah, yes. The kissing rules.
3: A hug and a kiss and some low-key feels at the beginning of a visit? (laughs) And a hug and a kiss and some low key feels at the end. That's it. Low
1: key feels, yeah. but you gotta take something with you. You gotta take the feelings with you. <laughs> what kind of kiss is acceptable? Because they say kiss, but what does that actually mean?
10: Well, it's just it's an unwritten rule. They say you know, twenty second, 15, 20-second kiss. Uh, but of course, this uh, non-written rule. It's just kind of like uh okay, that's enough.
1: But know. it's more than just like a little. Ah uh,
10: yes, probably yes. <laughs> okay. Yes, like a little peck Yes, it's, it's more than that. A, little bit. Yes, yeah. a little more. Yeah. Call it a French kitchen
1: Yeah,
10: yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you know, it could, it could, it could be that. But you know, not don't extend it. You know, to. Okay. But twenty a whole seconds. Twenty
1: seconds, not, bad. That's not yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. You're not a whole minute. <laughs> All the time.
3: The dress code. Can you talk about the rules of the dress code for the people coming in?
10: You cannot wear no uh, blue jeans, no short skirts or dresses, no shower shoes, no see-through. Everybody had to wear undergarments. Which of course is sometimes hard to uh check. You know, sometimes you can see the uh through the blouse, you know, they're not wearing, you know, uh, a bra. So of course we need to send it back. Good thing is there's a vendor machine out here that they start selling them like sports bra now. That's, Are you serious? Uh, yes. In that vending
5: machine out right right there? there?
1: We're walking out of the office, and we're walking over to what I've been told is a vending machine that has bras in it. Fruit of the loom. I don't know what size they are, though. I think one size fits all. One size fits all? Yes. That that is such a man thing to say. (laughs) That (laughs) can't be true. It's not true. One size does not fit all. Well, that's what it says in there, you know. you got to wear a bra in the visiting room, but it cannot be a bra with underwire.
3: Nah, that's how many times we talked about this on your Hustle.
1: (laughs) Clearly, I I love to talk about it. (laughs) This is like your favorite subject on this one. (laughs) It is true. I'm kind of obsessed with this. Ever since I've been going into San Quentin, I've been collecting wires that I find in the parking lot. They're there because they have that rule. You cannot wear a bra with underwire into the prison. So women show up. They find out they can't have underwires. They pull them out and fling them onto the ground, and they're everywhere. And if they don't take them out outside the prison—
3: They take them out inside at security. They hand them over to the guard, who stashes them in a secret place.
1: Can we see if this infamous drawer actually exists?
10: Uh (laughs) (laughs) Okay.
1: Oh, Oh,
8: my goodness!
1: It is a drawer of them. Oh, my God.
10: Yeah, so some of them, they throw them away right away. Some of them just... Uh, oh, uh, wait, why are you closing that
1: drawer? I got to look more. That's. Can I touch what's in here? Yeah. I cannot believe it. Why are you guys saving them?
10: Well, I sometimes they don't want to throw them away because this will be considered like uh, hot trash, so we have to oh, right. throw them away somewhere else, yes.
1: Yeah, why don't you define hot trash? Hot trash
3: is what's considered contraband in the prison. So when it's found or discovered... The officers confiscate it or take it, and they put it in a place where incarcerated individuals can't get to
10: it.
1: Oh, oh my God. I cannot believe it. I'm going to put them back. I'm just. Yes. And of no, course. No, no, no. Are you allowed to give them away?
10: You give them away? You, uh, we throw them away, you know. So. Can I
1: throw them away for you? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I've learned at prison. If you ask a question, someone just laughs. It means no. <laughs> So what are, So what is the equivalent for guys visiting? Do they have to have on underwear? For and how guys? do you know a guy, a man when a man comes in to visit? Uh-huh. What, what are the rules for him?
10: Well su so him as uh, the, the female, but of course, I have not seen no men coming in with no bras. No, like but I what think. about
1: underwear? what if they don't have underwear on?
10: Uh, well, again that's something too very difficult to check. What you getting at, don't
1: I? Well, I'm just wondering that you know women have to go through I think it's a little bit more humiliating. And women have to go through when they get checked for visiting. I'm just wondering what the equivalent is. Like
10: he wouldn't have drawers on.
1: Yeah, I don't know what else. What else could a guy do that would <laughs> would break the rules except no underwear. Well,
10: oh, coming in with blue jeans, yes. Or oh, blue jeans, yes.
1: okay. After the break, Bucci gets back to cooking in
3: the visiting room.
0: tight snappers there's more story being served and more visits to be made when snap judgment the ear hustle spotlight hot trash continues stay tuned Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the Ear Hustle Spotlight. Hot trash. The last we left, the ear hustle crew was at the visiting room in San Quentin State Penitentiary, where the rules, they're strict about what comes in, what goes out. And Frank, Frank knows about these rules all too well.
1: Despite all of those hoops he had to jump through, Frank kept showing up to visit Bucci every
5: weekend for six years. Maybe like the 12th time I said, Frank, why don't we just call these Lunch at SQ? And so Lunch at SQ was a place for, where Frank and I could share each other's intimate secrets. We can hold a safe space for each other. Everything would shut off, like all the noise in the visiting room, and Frank and I would just sit and visit.
1: That's kind of what people do in the visiting room, right? I mean, talk and eat. I mean,
3: that's kind of all you can do in a visiting room. At least officially. (laughs) But yeah, food is a big part of it. People come together and they eat with their families and chop it up.
1: At most prisons, visitors cannot bring in their own food. Mm -mm. So everything has to come from the vending machines.
3: Right. There's a row of them. You have frozen food machines, then the soda machine, the coffee machine, like a bunch of things. And occasionally there's fresh fruit or veggies.
1: Yeah, if you're lucky, right? Yeah, most of the vending machine food is pretty damn shitty. And Bucci was a chef, right? Right. So he was going to have to take all of that vending machine food and Bucci it up.
5: My culinary mind started to to start back up. I just started to think, okay, I can use some of these ingredients to to, to dial it up and um, put my foot in it. So what would you do? Usually we would just stick with our staple. We would do... Big-ass cheeseburger.
1: Oh, my God. I cannot believe he is talking about that damn Big-ass burger.
3: And that's spelled B-I-G-A-Z.
1: They're kind of sad. They're like a plastic-wrapped burger that you heat up in the microwave. And I'm not going to say it's the worst, but it's not great.
3: You got a street palate, Nigel.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You have a street palate now
3: too I still eat one because it was good When I was in the trenches Nigel When I was in the (laughs) trenches it was great
1: so we've had a lot of conversation about this big Asburger. It was it was Erlon's favorite inside, right? That was the best thing in the vending machine.
7: So it really was. I, I in fact, those hamburgers were better than most hamburgers I've gotten at, at a fast food place. I'm just place. not going to believe it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm <just not> <laughs> it. Was it good because
1: Gucci did something to it, or you really think out of the vending machine?
7: Well, he just knew how to make it perfect. I think. Yes. And he might, we might get a salad that might have some onions on it, he'd put the onions on the burger, he might yeah. get uh, uh, avocado, he might smear avocado yeah. on the burger, or he would turn the avocado into guacamole, and <laughs> he somehow knew how to just take, make the most of mayonnaise and ketchup and <laughs> mustard that was available and whatever else we could buy in the vending machine. Yeah.
1: what the visiting room is like for you? Like, what does it feel like? What's it smell like? What are the sounds?
6: The really busy ones are very noisy, very crowded. The only thing I can think of is it smells often like food being microwaved.
1: I guess I thought that between the two of us, we knew pretty much everything there was to know about prison. Eh, we sort of do. But not long ago, we got an email from a guy named Michael Hatch. He is a vending machine operator at a couple California prisons, and he told us something we had never heard. Is it true that almost every prison in California has vending machines maintained by people who are blind?
6: As far as I know, the only two adult institutions that don't have a blind vendor operating vending machines is Pelican Bay, Mm -hmm. and I believe there's one in California City.
3: I was curious there, you said we the blind, so you are, you are blind.
6: I'm blind. I'm legally blind. I'm not uh, a total, totally blind person, but I'm okay. considered legally blind. I, I don't private. drive a car. I, I can't read a newspaper without magnification, you know. Gotcha. Gl- yeah.
1: Is it right to say blind person? Is that offensive? To say blind person? It,
6: there's nothing you can say about blindness that would offend me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what about offending other people? <laughs> yeah.
6: I mean,
7: is
3: it because, you know, when I, when, I, when I was incarcerated, it was, it was people wore vests that said vision impaired.
6: Yeah, I, I've seen that in the visiting room where a guy will have, it just said blind. But no, I'm not, I'm not uh, sensitive at all.
1: So I'd never heard this before. But Michael told us that there's a federal law that gives blind people priority for contracts operating vending machines on a lot of government property, so that's highway rest stops, government buildings, and
3: of course prisons.
1: You select the foods that are going to be put in these machines.
6: Yes, there are some foods that I'm not allowed to sell, but for Such the most as? part, yes, yes. So just like what? Certain times I haven't been able to sell M Ms. And certain candies like that, uh, my understanding is because it could look like a little balloon of drugs. I actually have a couple of visiting rooms where they told me not to sell microwave popcorn because the people at the tables pass the bag of popcorn around and they put their hand in to grab it and maybe uh, somebody, a visitor, could drop something in there and then the inmate could then pull it out when the bag comes around to them.
1: Do you like food? Do you like to eat? Are you a
6: foodie? <laughs> I'm not a foodie as far as uh, um, esoteric foods, but yes, I love mm-hmm. food. <laughs> Probably the most popular thing in the visiting room is uh, a taco platter that we make, where they get three little tacos and uh, a wedge of lime and a cup of salsa.
1: So, Erlan, did you ever have a taco platter?
6: No, I have never.
3: I've, I've never had the pleasure... Of even thinking about a taco platter unless it was a food sale.
1: This was the second new thing we learned. In some prisons, you can get homemade food from some of the vending machines.
3: Never in my experience, so that's crazy.
1: That blew my mind. And Michael says that he really does it up for holidays. I think I remember you saying you would ask your family not to visit you on holidays like Thanksgiving.
3: Yeah. Because I felt like they should be at home. Mm. You know, I can join over the phone. But for a lot of guys inside, Thanksgiving is a big visiting day.
1: At a couple of the prisons where Michael works, he has access to the prison staff kitchen. And so when he wants to, he can really cook up a feast. Can you describe the meal so I can see it in front of me? Play. Well,
6: it's in a, it's in a microwavable platter, and it has to be the size that would fit into the vending machine. And mm-hmm. uh, we would cook turkey and then slice it up, slice it up, put it in there, uh, mashed potatoes, uh, some stuffing, and uh, uh, maybe a roll. And we usually gave them a little bit of cranberry sauce, and then we always mm-hmm. had uh, pumpkin pie with whipped cream um, as wow. well.
3: And 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 what would that what would that sell
6: for? Uh, I'm gonna say if I was doing it today, um, probably about 750.
3: Okay. Uh, wow, in, in uh,
1: that, that seems range. reasonable. That, that seems reasonable.
3: Hell yeah, that seems reasonable.
1: Have you ever had a, a vending machine nightmare?
6: <laughs>
1: like you've ever woken up in the middle of the night, like. <laughs>
6: go ahead. Yeah, like you've ever woken
1: up and been like, oh my God. I would just imagine something like a nightmare where all the food is piling up and it just can't come out and it's just getting rancid in there.
6: And I don't know. No, that's, that's real life. That's when you make all this food and you find out that they locked the yard down Friday night. Mm. And now I got all this fresh food in there and there's nobody there to buy it because there's no visiting. You know, what I don't want is a whole bunch of food left over because, I, frankly, whatever's left in the visiting room with the fresh food on Sunday afternoon, we have to toss because it's not manufactured in a way that it has that kind of a shelf life. Right. Whereas the Big Asperger can sit there for three weeks and it's still within date.
1: Uh, that doesn't, yeah, okay, that makes me not want to eat one. <laughs> Can you talk about, like, what this job means to you emotionally?
6: Well, I mean, as a blind person, um, blind people, it's it's one of the highest rates of unemployment of of any group in the country. It's not easy for blind people to get work. So I took over my first location in December of 1986, and I haven't been out of work for one day this entire time.
1: Wait a minute, you've done this 35 years
6: whatever 80, December of 86 yeah. to now is, yeah. If, if,
1: if my fingers are correct, I'm coming up with <laughs> 35. I think you love what you do, and that pro- probably shows in the food that you put in there. Well,
6: I, I, I do, and like I say, I'm just thankful that I've had a job all these years and you know, been yeah. able to support my family and, and do all that.
3: He's not putting a taste of love in it, Nigel. He's putting a taste of freedom in it. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of freedom, Nige, mm-hmm. Bucci got his own taste of freedom not too long ago.
1: Yep. He served a sentence and walked out of the gates of San Quentin on January 1st of this year, 2021.
5: Frank and his family were there. His daughter documented the whole thing. It was very um, surreal. I think when you stop at the captain's porch where, or the watch commander where they say, okay, one parole in Bucci, that's when, I, when it really hits. It's been just a surge of processing my emotions. Like, my emotions will come in these surges and waves, and I just let it go.
1: So Bucci had only been out for a few months when we were sitting with him and Frank in this park near Frank's house.
3: Yeah, and Bucci had landed himself a pretty sweet re-entry gig.
5: So what
1: are you doing now for a job?
5: Frank and his husband were kind enough to allow me to be their personal chef. And so I just feel a sense of gratitude and humility and just, I feel fortunate.
7: Um, He talks like he's the only one grateful for that. We get to eat his food (laughs) twice a day. And and I used to do all the cooking, and Andrew did all the cleaning up, and now we have been freed up to do other things with our time. And um, he just brings so much joy, and the food is so much better than what I was able to prepare.
5: The way I can give back was through cooking, right? Because that's a demonstration of my love, right? And also... If you don't put love in your food, it's not going to taste good, right?
4: It's been that long, bruh.
5: One, two, one, two.
4: Hold on, hold on. Let me see uh, if I'm on the right mic.
1: I am so excited about what we are hearing now.
3: I was waiting on the theme music to come in. (laughs) <laughs> do-doom, do-doom, do <do-doom. laughs> No, no,
1: no, no, no. Not yet, my friend. All right. We have not been working in the Media Lab for about a year now.
3: Nope.
1: But finally, our Inside co-host, New York, was able to get in there with our friend, Rashid.
3: Listeners might remember Rashid's name from the credits. He's one of our music dudes. He sat down and chopped it up with New York. So check it. They come out
4: with the video visits at the end of November. Right. I rushed the information to my folks trying to get a video visit. They didn't do it in time. We missed November. You only get one a month. I know. And so I was trying to, like, schedule stuff to, like, stack it, get moms in this month, get Sue in that month, rock this month, like, trying to, you know, work this thing. We get an appointment for, I think it was January 16th. They cancel it because we on quarantine again. Then we get another appointment for January 23rd. They cancel it because we went on quarantine again. Next thing you know... I'm on a yard, and they call Thomas, 589. You got a visit. I was out there with you. Man. I remember, because we teased you, remember? Yeah. I was like, going up there for your phone call. And my <laughs> brother think I'm trying to get out of working out. I'm in the middle of the burpees. I'm sweating like, like a goldfish in a pond. So I, I come up out of there. I rush to the building. I said, what time is the visit? They said 1130. It was like 1105. I took a five-minute military shower.
3: He slides into that visiting chair just in time and there's his friend on the screen
4: and i can see her and it's like my first time getting a zoom meeting you see That's the zoom right. meetings on tv yeah. <laughs> so i'm getting my zoom meeting on and this is cool she's in her car on her cell phone having this video visit right and i'm seeing the back of the uh, leather seats in the back of the car and all that right <laughs> i'm like this is a crazy place i wanted to see her room like i've never been there right um but it was cool and so we in the middle of this video visit and i asked her a question she said well let me look it up i said no It ain't that serious. We just chilling right now. You ain't got to look up nothing. Just, no, it's nothing. It's nothing. I'll do it right now. Man, next thing I know, it says, it just got her name. Miss Rocky Watts on the screen, right? The video part of the visit is gone. Now we having a a phone call.
3: (laughs) So when New York's friend flipped over to another screen on her phone to search, it killed the video feed.
1: Yeah. I mean, we've heard folks complain about some um, problems. Yeah, some problems in the video connections.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and the families we've talked to said they don't even like to call them video visits because they're not visits, and they don't want CDCR to ever forget that.
4: You know, it's it's weird because, like, when you get to see your people when you talk to them, it doesn't feel the same as when you see them in person, right? And so it's like you're looking at somebody on TV that you're talking to, but it's just weird. Did you get that when you... I don't know. It felt like it felt like the, the
3: like I was part of the the world for a change.
2: There's a lot of natural light coming in through the window because it's a pretty large window, so it'd be bright.
1: This is Vesta. We met her at the start of the show.
3: She was looking forward to her video call to introduce her husband, who's currently incarcerated, to their four-month-old daughter for the very first time.
1: And I asked her, how did she imagine it going? It would just be very light and airy. And what would you be wearing?
2: I don't know. I I was thinking I want to show my shoulders, but I don't, because I can't do that at the visit. <laughs> but I want to, like, I want to look elegant and classy, beautiful, motherly,
1: not too sexy, (laughs) but just right. And what do you imagine his reaction is going to be?
2: I think he'll cry.
1: visit after you introduce her do you think you'll feel closer or further away from him I think
2: I'll feel further away for sure I'm almost eight thirty-four this morning, I get that email. Title: Canceled WebEx meeting three A four weeks. The CDC number and my name, and the contents say: Core visit three A four canceled this WebEx meeting Saturday, January thirtieth, twenty twenty-one at one
1: thirty. And that's it. There's no. There's nothing else. That's so, it. Uh. It's
6: so cold. I'll pat myself in the back if I can go all the way through. This is all from memory. I'm not reading anything. Your hustle would like to thank Hamisi Spears, LaCedric Johnson, Elton Spencer, Michael Marlar, Kim Puckett, Anthony Ammons, Bashar Aremu, Floyd Collins, Brandon Browner and nephew, for talking with us on Yard Talk. Thanks to Alicia Montero, Michelle Garcia, Michelle Tran, and all the women who shared stories of their video visits. Dear Hustle is produced by Nigel Poor, Erlon Woods, Rasan New York Thomas, John Yaya Johnson, and Bruce Wallace. This episode was sound designed and engineered by Antoine Williams, with music by Antoine, David Jassy, Greg Sayers, and Rashid Zinneman. Amy Standen edits the show. Shubnam Sigman is our digital producer, and Julie Shapiro is the executive producer of Radiotopia. Ear Hustle would like to thank Acting Warden Ron Broomfield, and as you know, every episode of Ear Hustle has to be approved by this guy here.
4: This is Lieutenant Sam Robinson, the Public Information Officer at San Quentin State Prison. Uh, visiting, man, uh, much different visiting story than what we had in the past with a... Uh, and I can't. Hold well, well, on, oh, no, you got you uh, got to remind me of the episode, oh, you man.
3: What well, what you mean the Boom Boom Room? Oh yeah, the Boom Boom Room, and
4: uh, there have been some other episodes where it's kind of skirt issue, but this was this one definitely had a much different feel than uh, the Boom Boom Room and everything else. So, uh, and I think the listeners will agree with me. So with that, I will say I approve this episode. <laughs>
3: This podcast was made possible with support from the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative, working to redesign the justice system by building power and opportunity for communities impacted by incarceration.
1: Ear Hustle is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX. Radiotopia is a collection of independent, listener-supported podcasts. Some of the
3: best, most interesting podcasts in the land. Hear more at Radiotopia.fm.
1: I'm Nigel Poor,
3: And I'm Erlon Woods. Thanks, thanks for listening. listening.
0: Big thanks to the entire Ear Hustle team inside San Quentin and over at PRX's Radiotopia. This incredible group is in their seventh season of the show, and it's packed with amazing stories. Check it out. And subscribe at EarHustleSQ.com. Snap it happened again. And if you want to be the most interesting person you know, subscribe to the amazing Snap Judgment podcast. It might just change your life. If you want to take Snap Nation wherever you are, follow Snap on the Twitter the Facebook, the Instagram. Show them you snap with the t t-shirt that says Snap Judgment right on it. It's at snapjudgment.org. And by now, you should know that this is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you could fool your friends and family with a scrumptious gourmet Thanksgiving dinner, hot and delicious, straight from a vending machine. I promise not to tell. And you would still not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is P-R-X.